What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards, both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, Go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. It is Tuesday evening. And on the line right now, John Taylor, friend of the podcast, is here, and he is here to talk a little baseball, but I think we should spend at least the first 45 minutes um, raving and just really enjoying our lady, uh, Casey Mux, uh Casey, uh, oh God, I already forgot her last name, Musgrave? Um, you talking about Casey Musgrave? Yeah. Yes. I, it, it, Musgraves did not sound right as I was thinking about it because I know the album name more than her, the artist name, but we both love that album and it won album of the year, the Grammys, and uh, it's a great album. I went back through it over the weekend and, oh man, right in the feels every time. Yeah, I, I've only, I haven't listened to it in a little bit. I actually, I, I actually missed the Grammys. I was. Uh, oh, I didn't watch it. I just saw it one and I was like, oh, nice. I love that album. Yeah, I was say, what it made me think is like, wow, I really need to listen to that album yet again because, like you said, it really just gets you right in the, right in the, right in the depths of your heart. What is your favorite uh, song off that album? That's a tough one. I think it probably is. Um, it's, it's either Golden Hour or, um, man, that, that is tough. High Horse is really good. Um, Jeez, uh, slow burn. Yeah, I think it. Uh, you know, I think I'm gonna go with slow burn. It's tough, but I think I'm gonna go with slow burn. Uh, okay. With high horse and golden hour is the as rounding of the top three. But so none of your top three includes my number one. Ooh, what what's your number one? Space Cowboy. Ooh, also a really good one. It's so good. There's just you can't pick a bad one, so you know for me. That's honestly, true. The album's perfect. Let's go ahead and be clear. That album is perfect. There's not one bad song on that album. It's it's a very very good piece of music, and yeah, I, I do need to give it a re-listen now that it's back in the uh, in the discourse. What are you listening to tonight? You put up a picture on Twitter, and I I don't know the band. I, I can uh, go ahead and tell you, no idea. Uh, okay, David Berman, Stephen Maltmus. Uh, guess you would call it kind of country twinged like you know indie alt-rock of the mid-90s uh the album's american water it's their to me it's their best album um actually i just got it on vinyl a few weeks ago when i was in los angeles um i went to amoeba music and just like you know just uh 
because I have, it's it's not album you see too often. I mean, you you can buy it online, obviously. You don't see it in record stores too often. So when I saw it there, I was like, you know what, got to get this because it's it's my favorite album of theirs. Probably one of my like twenty five favorite albums just all time. But that's a that's a much much tougher uh, list to figure out right now. But yeah, that's 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 what I was listening to. Uh, Interesting. How often are you in record stores these days? Yeah, every now and then. The thing is, New York only has like basically eight <laughs> between um, between Manhattan and Brooklyn, and mm. none of them are particularly close to me. I I live on the up on the not the upper sorry. I live in Midtown West slash Hell's Kitchen, mm. and most of the record stores are down in like the East Village or kind of in the lower West part of Manhattan, and then in, in Brooklyn they're in Williamsburg and Greenpoint. So I don't really get a chance to go all that often just because it is kind of a, not, not like a huge trip, but it's like, you know, it, it is a, you got to make an afternoon out of it. And, um, but I do, I I've had, you know, I have a fair number of records I've been buying since college. So, um, and every, any chance I get to go to another city, I usually check out like when I was in, I, I just got back from Spain. I was in Madrid and Barcelona. And so I checked out some of the record stores there just to see what was what I wasn't going to buy anything. Cause I, didn't really like the idea of trying to bring vinyl um, in my suitcase. Yeah, that's not great. <laughs> okay. How many albums do you have? At least a hundred, which isn't okay. like, I know there are people, I'm sure you got listeners out there who are going to like scoff and I'd be like, I have like a thousand. Like, but there was a while there too where I stopped buy, buying vinyl because my record player stopped working and it just took me forever to get it fixed. Um, but recently, I've just been trying to buy stuff back up and a lot of it too is just like kind of um, you know buying up buying up some of my favorite albums in vinyl so that I have them there too because um, I I have a lot of a, a lot of like older stuff um, so I'm just trying to pick up some of the newer stuff now. Okay. Newer quote unquote. I have exactly zero vinyl okay. albums. I did think about okay. it, um, but I just feel like it's one of those things where. I, it sounds good in theory, but there is a next to zero chance I will ever actually use it. Other than the weekend, maybe in like a Saturday afternoon. Like that's the only time I could see myself just being like, you know what? I'm just going to put this on and just listen for an hour. Like I, I just don't see me being able to pull it off. I, I just, I don't know. I, I feel bad. I wish I did, but I just, I think no, being honest with myself, I don't think I'd use it. That's fair, and I mean that—that that is something too real. You got to be in the mood. You got to be in a specific mood, and you've got to have like an hour blocked out to do it. It can't just be something you just, you know, do on the fly. But for me, it's just nice. Like if I'm working in the afternoon and I just want to listen to some music, I can just you know, pop on a record and just kind of you know, because I I work from home a lot um, instead of going to our office. So yeah. Do you think um, this is why Manny Machado and Bryce Harper haven't been signed? Is all the GMs have just gotten way too into vinyl over the winter? Clearly, and... clearly the reason they haven't signed is because when I was out of the country last week, I spent too much time basically praying that they would sign um, so I wouldn't have to deal with it. So in the, for my arrogance, I have been punished. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Are we sure they're getting signed? I'm. It, it says it should say a lot, but like I've honestly reached the point now where I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like today, I think you know today I think was the first day I really started to entertain the possibility that neither of these two guys are going to be signed by the time opening day rolls around. 
I think it's possible. Um, it's not like an unprecedented thing either because like, I think this might be a growing trend in sports anyway. Like I could see this happening in the fall with Le'Veon Bell. Like I could see him holding out and just being like, you know, I'm worth more than this and being kind of and just kind of scoffing at all the offers. Cause he's, I believe like 26 kind of in that same window. Obviously things are different comparing baseball to football players, but yeah, I do, I do think there's a similarity there. And I think you're going to see more and more of these guys get uh, just left out there and teams are going to be like nope we're gonna we'll go into the season and a lot of these guys are gonna get signed like week four week five the nhl just had this with nylander who missed like the first month and a half of the season with the maple Leafs before he got his big extension they were totally fine just dragging that out as an rfa and being like whatever man we'll move on and uh, eventually we'll get it done but it's not um at the top of their list so i think these teams that think they can still get him um they might just see <laughs> oh, let's just wait it out a little bit longer. I, I think this is a growing trend, and I think um, it's entirely possible that one or both of these guys will not uh, be on a roster by opening day. You know, I was going to say, I mean, I know you know, I know you know that there is a difference, like with, with the Le'Veon Bell situation, and uh, is it Eric Nylander? Did I, did I just make yes. that up? Eric, yes, I know a hockey. Um, and the thing, you know, obviously the thing with those situations is that's just one team. That's one team has the the player has one idea and the team has another idea of the value. And if they can't come to an agreement, there's nothing anyone else can do because it's not like a second team can come out and say, well, we think this guy's worth more. So we'll just give him the money. he wants. Well, no, what I'm saying is Le'Veon's a free agent this summer. So he right, will have that opportunity. That's... And I just don't think he's going to get what he's expecting and that he might just, that teams might just be like, yeah, this guy clearly would help a lot of teams. And they still are just like, nope, no, thanks. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy to me that like, like we we are that we are both, and I'm pretty sure we're not the only ones to sit here and think there's a real chance that Harper and Machado might not be signed by opening day. Like, it's, it's not a good it, sign it, that we're now getting the short-term contract stuff pop up. Like, this is something it, you hear at the beginning, like, oh, well, maybe he'll do that and just uh, make take a one-year gigantic offer. That's what you hear early on in the process. That's not the thing you hear right before pitchers and catchers report. That's like last ditch, like, what can we do to get these guys signed before actual games that matter start? That That's more concerning to me that this is coming out now. Yeah, especially, like, not just the whole Harper thing where he's, you know, I, I, I forget who it was, but come out and said, like, you know, no, he's not going to do that. But the fact that you have then the report that the Yankees are still interested in Manny Machado and maybe in some kind of, like, deal like the kind they gave Zach Britton, it's like, uh, that shouldn't happen. That Not only should that not happen, that shouldn't be allowed to happen. Like, that, that would be such a just catastrophic thing in terms of, like, what it means for the market, what it means for other players, what it means for just free agency in general. And like you said, yeah, this is the kind of stuff that ordinarily gets shot down like um, before the seat, before the off season even starts, you get those reports out that are just like, by the way, keep in mind, like so and such and such player is simply not going to sign a short term deal. Um, it really, this, this really has reached just a, the stupidest point. Like I cannot believe this is where we're at with both of these players you know i it, it's just bad but can you really not believe it based on what happened last winter like i feel like we should have all seen this coming like i don't think it's that surprising this is where we we're I at i could have seen it coming for someone like dallas keichel or mm-hmm. marwin gonzalez or craig kimbrell who are also all on sign i wouldn't have had that hard a time um <clears throat> excuse me i wouldn't have had that hard a time believing that for those guys because those guys while they're all really good 
you can also make an argument against them and like you know Keuchel is getting older and doesn't strike out a lot of guys. Kimbrell is a 60 inning reliever. You know, he's, he's one of the, he's the best closer in baseball or one of the best closers in baseball, if not the best, but he's still just a reliever. Marwin Gonzalez has had one good year and like every team has a guy that they can use in a Marwin Gonzalez type fashion. Like you can't make any of those arguments with Harper or Machado. And that's why I figured at some point, some team would just be like, almost like come to their senses and be like, wait, what the hell are we doing? And just give him the give them the contracts they deserve, because these are like truly elite, awesome, great, incredible players. Where you can't just like kick out flaws to be like, oh, but that's why they don't deserve eight years. That to me is why I like. I'm not surprised that the the market is still slow. I am shocked that it's slow for these two, because these two are were supposed to be the guys who are who are going to be exempt from those kinds of market forces because they are just so good and so young. And I just figured, you know, at least one team, I figured at least, I also figured to to some degree that like a team like the Cubs or the Dodgers, even though they have all their luxury tax complaining, would at the same time be like, yo, like, you know, especially with the Dodgers, two world series in a row, but they don't win. It's like, we have to do something and we have to do something big, you know, or the Cubs can look at what their roster underachieved last year and maybe feel like their window is closing or at least getting smaller and be like, we have to do something. And this is the best opportunity to get back on top. So to me, that that's, that's just a crazy part too. Like these are guys who will help immediately and in the long term, And yet you have the Cubs and the Dodgers and the Yankees and everybody else being like, eh, maybe. Yeah, um, but at least the Cubs are um, shifting priorities in the right direction with their new uh, new slogan for the year. What is it? Own it? Something like that? Own it, which the, the, the beauty of doing that in the same offseason where, one, they basically ref, like refuse to get rid of their domestic violence, you know, domestic abusing shortstop, and two, had the father of the team owner, like all his racist emails come flying out into the open and him basically being like, ooh, whoops. Boy, I I don't know in terms of both like just general offseason moves and in terms of like actual offseason activity and like just just like kind of the tone of the offseason if any team is at a worse winter than the Cubs. You know, they they have just looked awful. Like they not only have all their decisions just like not only have they not done anything. You know, and if you say Daniel Descalzo counts as something, I'm going to I'm just start I'm just going to hang up. <laughs> but like the just between the Addison Russell stuff and the and the Joe Rickett stuff and just kind of how tone deaf they've come across with all of it, like it, it is hard for me to pick a team that has had a worse winter in terms of just the overall aesthetic of it, um, all the way around. Just really a bafflingly bad like winter. It just doesn't make any sense to me. They're up there. I mean, I would include Cleveland, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. In that uh, yeah, group. Cleveland, Cleveland is a good choice, too. They've, they've had a really bad winter. Um, God, I have so many Cleveland thoughts. And I went on a, a multitude of rants about uh, Chris Ananetti and the Lindor stuff and everything. But um, And we'll revisit that briefly tonight, I think, at some point. But I think the Braves have, and Phillies have had disastrous winners um we'll see what happens here but the braves have been a member berry offseason uh member brian mccann jeff rancor uh nick markakis um adam jones another guy who's 
I mean, the, his war has gone down significantly over the last couple of years. He's 33, but um, he's still someone who should be signed now. He should be on a roster. He should be. Uh, I don't understand why he's not the right fielder for the Braves. I don't understand why the Braves aren't getting in on Bryce Harper. Like, I don't understand why the Phillies um, traded for JT Real Muto. So we'll see. Like, the, the Phillies have the most opportunity to have the worst offseason because if they walk out of here without Machado and and or Bryce Harper when their owner went on record saying he wanted to spend stupid money this winter, um, I don't know of a way you could spend the Phillies, especially you throw in what Michael Bauman wrote about with Gabe Kapler and all the mess uh, behind the scenes with him dating back to his time in Los Angeles. Like the Phillies are, they're up there too. Um, it's There's a lot of different challengers to the Cubs, but I think I would agree with you that they have had uh, across the board the, the worst offseason possible. I think the Braves have had kind of a disappointing offseason because like you said, they, they really are one of those teams that absolutely could use Harper, who would make a ton of sense for them. I mean, I really like the Josh Donaldson signing. Um, I do find the rest of their moves just kind of underwhelming. I like what the Phillies have done, although I also agree with you that um, it it's not a, it, for them it's not a complete offseason if they don't get one of Harper and Machado, and ideally they get both, but I, I don't really see them getting both at this point. Um, but even, I mean, even if they don't, I think you could look at offseason and go, okay, they, they did stuff, they got better at some key positions, you know, they're definitely right up there with the Braves uh, and the Nationals in terms of um, being, you know, competing for the Annalise title. Um, I just think when it comes to like, I, like I said, I do agree with you. The Indians have had a bad off season. The Cubs have had a bad off season. Like I'm not crazy about what the Dodgers have done. I'm not particularly crazy about what say, you know, and I know we, we, you know, it's going to probably going to later. I'm not crazy about what the twins have done. I'm not crazy about what the Brewers have done. Like, it just feels like there are very few teams that have actively tried, not tried, but have actively made themselves better. And the weird thing is, like, one of those teams is the Reds. Like, that, it's, it's just so, this offseason has been so strange because you basically have, like, and I think this is a question that was posed online. I saw on Twitter a couple weeks ago, and it still holds true. How many teams can you think of have actively improved themselves this winter? And it, it, I couldn't come up with more than five. Everyone else has either kind of just stayed put or gotten worse. That's a good question. Who would we say has actively gotten better? Um, the Cardinals? I'd, I'd say the Cardinals have actively gotten better just by adding Goldschmidt, though they haven't done anything else. I guess they added Andrew Miller, too. Um, I'd say the Reds have gotten better. Uh, I think the Phillies have gotten better, although they still could get a lot better. I think... And then that's the thing. Then I start to just kind of like the wheel starts spinning in my head, the little yeah. like you know apple um, color. Oh, wheel. the Nationals! I would say the Nationals. Uh, I like Patrick Corbin. Corbin and what they're doing. I I could you can make the case. Like I'm okay with what the Nat. If they get Bryce Harper back, and that's something that I still think is a distinct possibility. Because isn't that the rumor that they're going to have the opportunity to match whatever the final offer that he's tempted to sign is going to be? Is they can possibly? Gonna... I mean, I. I would like to think that if they really did want him back, they would have offered more than 10 years and $300 million. And, sure. I, and I'm, I kind of have a hard time seeing how that team then turns around and spends $140 million on Corbin and then digs up another $300 million for for Harper. I mean, they could. Any team could. But I, I just kind of find that hard to imagine. 
Well, their yeah, owner like loves Bryce Harper, um, and they've shown that they will spend. They've spent in the top five, top ten the last couple of years. They are um, the Lerner family. I, I think if you put them on the spot and they're like, this is it, you either get Harper back and you invested back in the pitching staff, um, that like Anthony Rendon is a budding superstar. I mean, you could actually just say he's a star. Juan Soto is on the market. Like if you re-sign Bryce Harper, and I understand this is a tough contract to re-sign and the fielding stuff was weird this year, but look, if you lock in Bryce Harper back and you give him this kind of outrageous contract, you're still going to contend for years and you get right back into the top of the NL East. You get all that playoff revenue. You keep this thing going and then you just... You're just built for a while and you get an opportunity to win a championship. If you let him go, you'll still be um, in the mix. You could still do it, but if you get Harper back and you have Soto and Rendon and everybody else, it's like, oh, this the Nationals are right back to being the favorite in the NL East. Oh, yeah, and I, I totally agree with you. Like, There's there's plenty of room for them to... Uh you know, to, to bring Harper back and, you know, that it's a move for the, it's not just a move for this year, it's a move for the future. But again, just trying to figure out like, okay, who got, it feels like they're a fair, I think there are a fair number of teams that, that sign good players, but that overall kind of just feel like they're pretty much where they were last year. Like I put the Astros in that category because, you know, they got Michael Brantley, which is a move I like. Um, but at the same time, they let like, they let two of their, five starters go and Lance McCullers blew out his elbow. And I know that they're going to replace him with Wade Miley and a few of the really good, you know, like rookies they have. So, but I guess just for me, like the Astros are a team where it's like, I kind of, I kind of can't really tell if they got better. I don't think they got worse, but I don't know if they got better, but at the same time, the baseline for them was 103 wins. So how much better could they realistically have been? Mm -hmm. I think the same thing is true of like the Red Sox or I know the Yankees have, have made a lot of moves too. But I guess it's also just hard for me to feel like, you know, these teams are actively trying to get better when Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are still free agents. Like, if you really want to be better, sign those two players or one of those two players or whatever. Like, it's just hard for me to feel like the the Astros, for example, got better when they, like everyone else, could have used Bryce Harper and easily could have signed Bryce Harper and should, in fact, have signed Bryce Harper. And I feel that, like, like that's the case for every, like, because I did this way back in like early November, I think it was early December. I can't remember. Um, you know, there's a case for any any and every team to sign Bryce Harper, like easily. Like doesn't matter how bad you are, even if you're the Marlins, sign Bryce Harper. You know, he'll be there in the future when you're actually good again. Mm-hmm. If, if you're ever good again, and that if <laughs> well, Derek Jr. Only... wants to be good again. We well, saw those that... comments last week. Boy, and that if is predicated only on the fact that, like, I don't think the Marlins really know what they're doing. I, I like the, the Real Muto trade for them. I think they got some good pieces back. But, mm. you know, it, it just, I have never gotten the sense. And it doesn't really matter whether it's, you know, um, old regime, current regime, whatever regime comes next, that winning is ever the goal there. It just seems to be like a cycling of parts forever. Um I think they get another couple of years. Like we have to, it sucks, but I just, I don't know, man. We're we're always giving them another couple of years. I know. And I don't feel good about it either. I'm right there with you, but they're just so mercurial with the way Jeter talks about this team. And like he says like this, it's, I don't know. I just don't feel comfortable. Like, I just don't have a handle 
on the Marlins ownership group right now. I just, I don't know. We just know they tore it down. They're going to make a lot of money. Like I could see them spinning this off of just like tearing it all down, rebranding all this other stuff and being like, all right, made a bunch of money and then selling them again. Like I, I really don't know. I don't know what their end goal is here. I don't know if they just want to create the Marlins into becoming a real estate mogul, kind of like what the Braves have done with the battery and everything else, where it's like, we bought them for this and now we're going to turn them into this. Um, I I don't know if that's their end goal. Um, I assume that's most of these older sports owners goal is to buy it at a lower rate and then potentially flip it down the road um, for a crazy price. Uh, That would not be an insane thing for this group, but it's, I just, I have no idea what the Marlins are thinking day to day. Yeah. And I think because of that, it's just hard to say like, Oh, they will be, you know, we just got to give them the benefit of time or the, or the benefit of the doubt and time. It's like, no, they've, they've just never earned that. Like, and even this current ownership group does not deserve that because this current ownership group came in and immediately made things worse when they didn't have to. Um, so for me, it's just like, I don't know. I, I've always been like pessimistic about the Marlins in that regard in that they just never feel like a functioning major league franchise. They just feel like a Ponzi scheme that just doesn't stop. So like, I, I don't know if you read the, the piece Sam Miller did about how, you know, the after the Real Mudo trade, it's like of oh, the Marlins, like top 23 players and like, career players in war, like 22 of them have been traded. They just never <laughs> allow anything to be built long-term there. And some of that is like, you know, Wayne Huizenga and, you know, the teardown that came after the 96 world series or the teardown that came after the 2003 world series. Like that wasn't like that. That wasn't like, I'm sure that wasn't a front office plan. That was an ownership driven plan, but it's still the team. It's still what happens to the team regardless. And so it's just hard for me to look at that kind of collection of, of, you know, just what they've done and feel like even, even though this is a new ownership group, and just feel like, yeah, I, I trust what the Marlins are doing. There's never been any reason to trust what the Marlins are doing. So that that's just how I look at it at this point. Well, let's talk about a team that we also don't know what they're doing. Um, they changed front office pieces. They put some guys into um, pseudo-executive roles like Brian Sabian and everybody else. And uh, Bobby Evans, who knows what he actually does now in San Francisco. But... Um, they are apparently now the favorite, the betting favorite to land Bryce Harper. You wrote about it. Um, I got to ask you, will the Giants be the team that signs Bryce Harper? It seems silly to ask this after what we've talked about, but um, what is your sense of the Giants and Bryce Harper? He makes a lot of sense. I, I think he makes a lot of sense anyway, because you look at that Giants team and they're in this weird kind of no man's land where they're not bad enough to blow everything up, but they're not good enough for you to be like, go all out with like, or at least what you would consider going all out to go on a big off season spending spree. And ordinarily you'd think, okay, well that's Harper, isn't it? So if they're not good enough to do all that, then why would they sign Harper? It's like, well, for starters, Harper is, as I said before, Harper is about now and tomorrow, you know, he helps you in 2019. And he helps you in 2020 and 21 and 22 and 23. And for the Giants, that's the most important thing because they don't, they have a farm system that's not graduating any top talent anytime soon. Everyone on that, everyone in that core, the Posey, Bumgarner, Crawford, you know, Belt, all those guys, they're all on the wrong side of 30, uh, except maybe Bumgarner. He's a free agent at the end of the year anyway, so he might not be sticking around. Um, 
they have a lot of long-term money tied up in guys like Johnny Cueto and Jeff Samarja and Mark Melanson and whatnot. So they don't really have a lot of room to invest in anyone else right now. Um, but on the, on the plus side, a lot of those contracts are going to disappear within the next three years. So, you know, yeah, maybe Harper doesn't do too much for the 2019 Giants and the 2020 Giants. But one, he keeps them competitive and allows them to kind of run it back one or maybe two more times with this current core and see if there's anything left. And two, he's still young enough that if this, if this, this, this current era kind of falls away without another title, well, he's the bridge to the next group of Giants. He's the bridge to the 2022 Giants when they can spend that offseason before that season finally able to spend again. Um, because the truth of it is, like, there's no other way for them to add an impact player of Harper's caliber. They don't have the pieces to make a trade for a guy like that. They don't have, um, you know, there's no better free agents going to hit the market aside from Machado um, anytime soon, unless they want to get involved with Arenado next year. And Arenado is older and not as good. Yeah. And to me, it's just like, it just makes, it makes a lot of sense for them to be able to build a better team with one player who can also help them build a better team in the future. I think the one problem they run into beyond whether or not Harper is a perfect fit there, and he, he obviously isn't because of a variety of reasons, but I think he's a really good fit, is that it's so late in the offseason that you now don't really have any room or time or ability to kind of add complementary pieces that you would normally want to do after you get someone like Harper. I mean, it, you still do have like Kimbrell and Keichel and Marwin Gonzalez out there. Maybe one of those guys too would make sense. But I think the problem is the Giants are, they have a lot of money on the books. And while they certainly could afford more, I don't know if there's an appetite for, if there would be an appetite for anything beyond Harper. So it would kind of feel like a, not quite a half measure, but certainly like a, I, I think Harper would make more sense if the Giants had a little more space to add more guys. As it stands now, I still think it makes sense. It just doesn't make as much sense. Yeah, I mean, it depends, I guess, also what you think about uh, Slater Aid in right field, right? Like, they're outfield. If It's a who's who back there right now. That, so, and, that's, uh, and that's the other thing where it's like, I can't think of another outfield in baseball, at least for a, pseudo, for a would-be contender. You know, certainly, I think Miami has a worse outfield than, like, Oh, can I introduce you to the Cleveland Indian outfield right now? Oh, yeah. that's, And I know we're going to get to the Indians at some point, but geez. Um, But the Giants have a really bad outfield. You know, they're they're projected to be pretty much replacement level across the board. And then maybe, maybe, maybe they'll do better than that. You know, there's certainly room for guys like Mac Williamson and Steven Duger and uh, Chris Shaw to be better than replacement level. You know, they're, they're good young players. I just don't know that I'd feel comfortable with that if I were the Giants. I don't know if I'd really, you know, want to, you know, look at those three and be like, yeah, that's our key to success. And I guess it's one thing if you're Farhan Zaidi and you're thinking to yourself, instead of making a big investment that may or may not go right, why don't I stick with these cheap guys I've got, see if, see what they can provide me, give them a year. You know, I don't lose anything because they're not, they're not costing me much money. They're going to play for a combined like million dollars this year, all three of them. Um, and then depending on that, then I can make a move as to, you know, next year is like, okay, well, let's do something different or whatever. And I understand that it's just boring and it sucks. So I, I, you know, if I'm a Giants fan and I have my choice of either, I get to watch 500 at bats from Chris Shaw or 500 at bats from Bryce Harper, 
not really a tough question which one I'm picking. Yeah. And I mean, if you had Harper and then the top of the order, that was some combination of Joe Panic, Brandon Crawford, Evan Longoria, um, Brandon Belt, who um, still a very good piece, Buster Posey until he falls apart. I mean, if you have that with Bryce Harper, that's it's not bad. Like, it's okay if you're seven and eighth are replacement level or worse at that point. Like, that's still a pretty intriguing um top six like it's not amazing but it's enough to probably push you into a wild card or a playoff berth i mean we forget that the nl west wasn't exactly um a great division last year the dodgers got off to a horrible start and really shouldn't even won the division last year and the rockies i mean unless you believe in them um about doing this back-to-back years um it's wide open the dimebacks have folded they turn they just went full um just garbage um just i i have so many thoughts on the dimebacks but i'm just uh i'm glad that uh it, they got their money's worth for paul goldschmidt and that jd martinez era like it, it really worked out well um yeah so it just it's fascinating because if the giants signed bryce harper are they where, where do they sit in the next couple of years with the dodgers do the dodgers respond is something i think about is like if that happens then if you're um, Magic Johnson and the Guggenheim ownership group, do you go, okay, well, I guess we're going to have to do something because our fans are going to get antsy uh, for us not really doing anything all winter. Um, what what do we do here? So I, I think there are other interesting dominoes that might fall if uh, Bryce Harper were to sign for, with San Francisco. Yeah, and I think even if they were to sign Harper, they're probably still looking up at at least the Dodgers and maybe the Rockies. But it certainly does put the Giants in a better position to capitalize on one or both of those teams stumbling. And it certainly puts them in better position for a wild card chase. And, and granted, the National League wild card race is going to be really tough this year. You're going to have, um, you're going to have, uh, you know. Well, be either the Brewers, Cubs, Cardinals. Like all three of those teams are going to be good. So have, only one can three, win the division. You have three teams in the NL East, prob- possibly four, depending on how the Mets go three teams in the NL Central, and two teams in the NL West, they're going to be contenders, I think. So it's eight teams right off the bat. Three of them will be division winners. That's five teams for two spots. So the math isn't great for... um, It's not great for for the Giants. But again, it's it's not only about the wild card. It's about, okay, let's get Harper, and maybe the Rockies take... You know, certainly the Rockies are not a team where you have to worry that, like, they're going to win... Like, you know, they're, they're not... They're not a projected 100-win team. That team has a lot of variance. A lot can go wrong, you know. And the Dodgers, hmm, the offseason they've had, I don't feel comfortable just immediately saying, if the Giants were to get Harper, I wouldn't feel immediately comfortable saying the Dodgers are, no, the Dodgers are still the favorite. But it certainly makes it more interesting if the Dodgers do have another bad start to the season or if they do suffer another injury like what happened to Corey Seager or if they don't have enough depth, which is, I think, certainly a problem for them right now, possibly. Um, you know, there, it just it creates a little more... It creates the possibility of being able to capitalize on, on mistakes if the, Dodgers, if the Dodgers make them. Yeah. Um, I, the Dodgers are just in a weird spot, but I, I agree. I think they're right there, and they'll probably still be considered the favorite um if you're bryce harper's agent is there a time frame is it may and he's still unsigned do you sign the 
a gigantic one or two year contract like with the Giants or somebody like that or if you're his agent right now do you not even consider that at any point what what do you what would you do if you're Bryce Harper's confidant if you're his rich Kleiman what do you uh what, what are you suggesting he do with this new short-term stuff that's popped up if I'm Scott Boris geez that is because I mean at a certain point it's like I don't know that you can just take a season off. Not that he'd be taking a season off, not that he'd be like, you know, it's not a gap year. Like, I don't know that you can just, that you can just sit out a season. Um, I, I think, like, football is one thing because it's probably honestly, it's probably honestly better for Le'Veon Bell to do that because he avoided the risk of serious injury or of just, you know, further wearing down. <sighs> I think at a certain point, I don't know when the deadline would be, but I think there does come a certain point where, where Boris probably just has to say, let's just take a big one-year contract, like $30 million, and try again next winter. The problem is, if you do that, why would any team give you the long-term deal next winter? Exactly. None, none, of, none of this is going to change. That's the problem. And taking that one-year deal is just giving into that kind of power play of like that's what's just so upsetting about all of this is like the only way for Harper or Bichado or any of these guys to win is to make that is to get that big long-term deal and it just seems increasingly less likely that that's going to happen and so the the it feels like okay if that's the case then the most likely secondary outcome is well then they're just going to take a short-term deal with a high average annual value and opt-outs so they can try again later. But what, what is going to change between now and then? That, to me, that's kind of the problem. Like, nothing's going to change until the next CBA. And number one, I don't know if we're going to be able – I don't know if the Players Union is going to be able to force any changes in the next CBA. And number two, there's almost certainly going to be a work stoppage um, because of that. So, I don't know. That's – I'm really glad I'm not Scott Boris or Bryce Harper, and I don't have to think about that. But mm-hmm. again, like pitchers and catchers are, are reported. Spring training starts officially in like four days. It is becoming increasingly, I think, in, at least in my mind, a possibility that one of those guys, if not both, are going to have to take at least a one-year deal, maybe some like two- or three-year thing, and try again another time, which is absolutely absurd. But I, I, it's just like I don't really see how they can force – any team into giving them the long-term deal they want because there's just no competition for them. You know, there's no, no one is, no one is trying to give them those deals. So what are, what are they supposed to do? You know? Well, then if you're the nationals, you just do it right. Like if that's the case, then he needs to resign with Washington because we know for certain, that's like the only deal we actually know that it's been offered. Right. Is that Washington yeah. offered Bryce Harper the certain amount of years? What was it? Eight years, 10 years, 300 million. Yeah. So, you take that, right? Like that's that's what I would do if I was Bryce Harper's agent. I'm I like, don't. All right, that's still that an incredible deal. I don't think that I would. Doubt, I doubt that offer is still on the table. Okay, Washington's got to be out of their mind. I just I don't believe that because I think the Lerner family loves Bryce too much. By all accounts, they are all in on Bryce all the time. I, I just they, I don't believe they that. are. But I I just I just have a hard time seeing that offer still being on the table, especially given that they've already made moves since then. And I'm not saying that there's like necessarily yeah. a hard and fast budget they're operating on, but again, they gave $140 million to Patrick Corbin. 
And even though they did the super nationals thing that they always do of like deferring a shit ton of it, like at a certain point, like you've made your moves, you've committed your money. Where are they going to dig out a spare? I shouldn't be saying that because they can dig out a spare 300 million. I just don't see the nationals just popping up $300 million just like that after they've already spent 150 million plus this winter um, to, to bring Harper back. I think okay. if he wants to come back, I think there would be probably a conversation along the lines of like, you know, okay, well, it's a different offer now, but I don't know. You know, I'm just, I just, this sucks. It sucks so much. It sucks a huge amount. It's so confounding to me. I hate it. I just need to say that I hate it. I hate that this is how the off season is going. I hate that this is where baseball is. I hate that these two superstars cannot get the money they deserve. It's so stupid. It makes me very angry. And I think the thing I hate the most is that instead of talking about the upcoming season and getting to be excited about like baseball and all these cool players, we're having to have these like conversations about like, you know, all the dumb money aspects. And it's just like, why? It doesn't have to be this way. It does not have to be this way. And that's just the most frustrating thing. <laughs> John, it's okay. It's going to be okay. The Lerner family is going to save us. They're going to sign Bryce and uh, re-sign him. And then uh, Machado, I think, if I, I think had to guess I, now, I think he's going to New York. I think he's going to sign some mega one-year deal with the Yankees. I think my favorite thing to write eventually this offseason is going to be um, these teams were very stupid for not signing Bryce Harper. And number one, it's going to be the Indians seven times in a row. Um, <laughs> and number two, it's just going to let me get all this anger out for just, you know, all these idiotic teams just not doing the thing that makes the most sense. But really, it is going to be the Indians because I don't understand for the life of me why they have not made that move. Aside from the fact that they're cheap because they are horribly cheap. Oh, we're we're going to go into more detail about the Indians in just a little bit. But I want to ask you about a team that no one talks about on any podcast ever, um, the San Diego Padres. They're, according to the betting odds right now, they're the second favorite to sign both Machado and Harper. Do you think there's any chance they wind up with either? Sure, there's a chance. I just don't think it's a very good one. Okay. I think... I think they make obviously both make sense for them. I think Machado probably makes a little more sense um, because he does play the premium defensive position. Um, I don't see it happening if only because I have a hard time seeing both of those guys, if not either of those guys committing to both a franchise that seems as hopeless as the Padres. Um, well, I guess that's really, I don't, I, I just have a, not just, not just as hopeless, but also one that just doesn't really seem to have a plan beyond like, let's get all these young guys up, which is like kind of how I feel the same way about the White Sox with regards to Harper and Machado, that like all they can really offer them is like the prospect of being the face of the, the next generation of that team. And I don't really, because since neither of these guys have won a world series. I have a hard time seeing either of them being like, well, sure. Let me sign with a team that if everything goes right is like two years away. And I know like, you know, things can change quickly. We saw that with the Cubs. We saw that with the Astros. Um, you know, teams can get better really quick, but both of those teams are not good. And adding either of those players does not make them good in 2019. Realistically, you're looking at like 2020. And that again, that's if everything goes right. 
And these are both. So it just wouldn't make sense to do a one year deal when their window. No, it just doesn't make any sense. Those and I think that's true of the Giants too, where it's like if Harper and Machado are going to sign, I don't think Machado would go to the Giants, but I'll just I'll just mention him as just to keep them together. Like, if you're going to sign a deal with like the Padres or the White Sox, it's got to be like an eight year deal, because you've got a it's got to be an eight year deal with like an opt out after like year three or four. I think that's the only way they would agree to go to those places, because a short term deal makes no sense there, because they're just going to waste two to three years of their career. I feel like. And a long-term deal with no opt-out is way too scary a prospect for two teams that have just not been able to get their shit together for, like, forever. And not to mention, these are not, like... Granted, like, Harper is still a, a superstar with national profile no matter where he goes, but, you know, you go to San Diego, you run the very serious risk of just disappearing. Because nobody cares about the Padres. Nobody's cared about the Padres in two decades. And there's been no reason to care about the Padres. And nothing that they've done... Like, in that span of time, really should give you any faith that they, like, have any plan beyond, well, we have all these prospects now. And that's fine. But, like, I don't know. I just have a hard time seeing them agreeing to sign with teams that are bad now, irrelevant, and need a lot of stuff to go right to be good again. And regardless of that play, in the case of San Diego, in a small media market, and in the case of the White Sox, will forever be the in the in the cub shadow no matter what they do the white Sox win the next five world series in a row and they'd still be looked at as the cubs little brother which is actually i think funny because i think the white Sox are older than the cubs i yeah. may have that one though but that to me is just like and i think that's why like if it comes down to it if the yankees or the dodgers or the cubs were to come in with some like okay here's three years for 90 or for like a hundred like a hundred million dollars or something, I think that at the end of the day, Harper and Machado would take that instead. Because I think they want to be on contenders. I think they want to be in major markets. And I think, I just, I just don't think they want to play the game that the White Sox and the Padres are playing. So that, that's, that's the sense, not the sense I get, because that implies that I like know something and I don't. Um, but that's, that's how I feel about it. And that's why, that's why I think, and I know we, we, I think I saw Buster only, it might've been only, it might've been John Heyman. I, I can't even keep track anymore. Um, tweeting about how Machado was not exactly enamored with the idea of signing with the Padres. And I get it. You know, that's, that's been a bad team for a long time and they're mm-hmm. going to get better because they have a lot of good prospects coming, but prospects are no sure thing. So I can totally understand why you wouldn't want to sacrifice the next two to three years of your career, hoping that Fernando Tatis Jr. and, you know, Cal Quantrill, although he's not actually that good anymore, and Mackenzie Gore and Francisco Mejia. Fran Mill Reyes, my guy. Big Fran Mill. I love Big Fran Mill. But mm-hmm. just hoping that all those guys hit their 90th percentile. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's that's really risky. I'd much rather, you know, put them Hold on. Put them in Hold on, shoes. John. I don't, I, I don't see any risk in investing in A.J. Preller or no, handing no. your uh, prime over to A.J. Preller. I, what could go wrong? No, nothing at all. And the thing is, even if all that stuff goes right, you're probably still looking up at the Dodgers. And if you're the White Sox, you're probably still you're still stuck in a league with the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Astros. Like, that's tough. You know, I'd much rather from them go to an already established contender. You know, join a team that's already good, and get that much closer to winning a World Series. I mean, I have to imagine for a guy like Machado, who who had to do this stupid song and dance already with the Orioles. And then got to join the Dodgers and got to play in a World Series. He probably doesn't want to go back to a rebuilding team. Yeah, unless he got to experience his, it. 
Yeah. Unless it's his only option, and the same is true with Harper. He's been in the playoffs and has been, you know, um, has been in a World Series chase. Why would they, like, that's the thing. Like, why, unless it's the only option, would they want to go to a rebuilding team? For, for the teams, for the Padres and the White Sox, Harper and Machado make a ton of sense. For Harper and Machado, the Padres and the White Sox don't really make any sense at all. Because it's, yeah. it's, it's a long-term commitment with a lot of risk. And I think if there's, a, if there's a better team out there willing to give them at least like a high-average annual short, short-term deal, I think they would probably just end up doing that. I really have a hard time seeing the Padres and the White Sox being able to offer anything that those teams can except for we will give you more years. And even then, the smart thing for both of them to do in those contracts would be like, fine, but we want an opt-out because if, you know, year three rolls around and we're still in the gutter, why am I going to want to stick around with this team? Well, to be fair, the White Sox also can offer um, an opportunity for Machado to hang out with his brother-in-law. Oh, man. the I love the White Sox strategy of let's trade for and sign the guys that Manny Machado likes instead of let's just make Manny Machado the biggest offer. And maybe they have made him the biggest offer. We don't know. But it just it does just feel like at a certain point, it's like, stop getting cute about this and just actually give him a big offer. You know, it's not like he's going to take a $20 million discount just because he gets to hang out with his brother-in-law all the time. You know? <laughs> it, it's not like they don't see each other. It's not like there's no way for them to communicate during, during the season. And it's also like, does, is Manny Machado really going to care if he's playing with his brother-in-law when the White Sox finish the season 25 games under 500? Does that really matter? You know, does that... Is that important at a certain point? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I feel like if it were really like a, an important thing, he probably would have signed already with the White Sox. So, yeah, I, I don't know how this goes. I just wanted to stop. Um, let's change gears here a little bit. Um, I wanted to briefly talk about um, the new rules that might be coming in. Um, and as you may have guessed, uh, people reacted very normally and uh, productively to the potential of a, a DH um, becoming a permanent thing in the NL. Um, I mean, it wasn't as bad as Madison Bumgarner's reaction to potentially having a uh, opener in one of his starts. So that, that was nice. But um, uh, what do you make of it? Do you think it looks like a Manfred said this week that it won't come in the next couple of years, but it certainly just feels inevitable. Um, smarter baseball writers than myself have suggested that it is indeed inevitable. Um, it makes more sense. I think we would all enjoy it more. There are people who are like, well, we don't want that uniformity. But then again, like my first thought was like, well, if you look at what makes football really work right now, it's, there is so much continuity now from playing as a kid to playing in the pros like college is all over the pro game like the high school stuff like it's just guys are learning a scheme that works from top to bottom and if you're in the minors and you have a pitch clock and you have the the pitchers aren't hitting um when you're in the farm system and then you're asked to hit when you get to the majors that's a problem and i i think ultimately uniformity is better for the players so if you're a pro player especially because there are more jobs um if the dh is across um both leagues um, I just, I think people who really are upset about it and I always posit like if it was not already like this and baseball had just started in 2019, would you ever be like, you know what, let's do, um, pitchers batting over and over again. Let's do that. Would you really suggest that, that being the better 
alternative than just having someone who hits only and having pitchers only focus on pitching like i don't think that would be a thing i feel like it's a nostalgia thing i think it's something that because this is the way they did things growing up and this is what you grew up accustomed to this is how it should be rather than it being a practical thing going forward oh it's definitely a nostalgia thing like and and like you said like if you were to if they if you were to design baseball near 2019 not only would you say like why do we want pitchers hitting why would you say we want pitchers hitting but only in one league the other yeah. league can do whatever it wants. It, that just makes no sense. And I think you're right that there's something to be said for the uniformity of it. I mean, look, college baseball has the DH. The minor leagues have the DH. Um, I believe the Japanese league has the DH. You know, foreign leagues have the DH. Everyone but the National League has the DH. It's just something left over from the older time that because there's never really been a clamor to get rid of it, just remains. And I think, I do agree that it is, it does have the air of inevitability to it, if only because, like you said, it's 30 extra jobs, which the union is happily going to sign up for. Um, for the teams, it's, it does, I don't know how big a consideration this is, but it does remove any risk of players getting, of pitchers getting hurt when they hit. And for the league, it's more offense. And, that, and they want that more than anything. They want more offense. They want more runs being scored. Um, and you're, I don't know. It's it's not going to make a gigantic difference in terms of offense. You know, it's not like the AL routinely and significantly outhits the NL, but it is 30 more. It is 15 more players. I said 30. I should have said 15, 15 more players who are better at hitting than the guys who are going to be, you know, taking those swings. Otherwise it just, to me, it is just a sense of like, what advantage does the pitcher hitting give you? To me, you know, whenever you hear about like you know the purists who want to keep the D, want to keep the pitcher hitting in the NL, the the fallback argument is always, oh, it makes the game more strategic. Does it really? It just means a couple pinch hitting decisions. Is that really? When you go to a baseball game, is that what you care about? Are you are you just eagerly waiting to see how the manager is going to handle the pitcher spot hitting, or are you more annoyed that pitchers are not going to be used more frequently, or that a starter doesn't get to stay in the game as long because they got a hit for him? I know which side I fall on. I'm granted I'm an AL fan. Like I grew up, I grew up a Red Sox fan, so I watched AL baseball. I just, I just don't see the argument for keeping the DA or for keeping the the pitcher hitting in the NL beyond it's the way things used to be and it's quote unquote more strategic. I just, and I don't see how that wins out in the end of, at the end of the day. I mean, I'm right there with you. I, I think it should be abolished. I think we should just move on, and the next generation of fans um, won't think anything of it. They'll be perplexed as to why it took so long for um, the DH to be uh, a thing that was in both leagues. I think it's um, it's it's the right thing. So I, I think eventually we'll get there. It's just kind of frustrating that it they're dragging their feet a little bit longer, and it's just going to take more time. But I think it. I would agree that I with... Um, the baseball writers who are suggesting that it will happen. It's just when, and I would rather just get there. Um, it would be more fun, especially with interleague and everything else. And I, it just, <sighs> there's no reason not to do it. Um, and if your only rationale is because this is how we've always done it, then uh, you need to reevaluate the way you look at these kind of things and really just um, your arguments in general, I think. Um, now I really wanted to wrap up here with, something that you and I have both got a lot of flaming hot takes on. It's um, the AL Central, uh, the Cleveland Indians. I don't know if you saw it because we didn't talk about this like, a few weeks ago because um, it hadn't happened, but it did happen uh, recently, and it was the Cleveland Indians uh, president of baseball ops, Chris Antonetti, uh, said some reckless stuff about Francisco Lindor and 
Um, I don't have the quote in front of me anymore, but essentially he outlined um, why he's concerned about, without naming names, but everyone knew who he was talking about because they've been trying to sign him to a long-term deal since 2017, Um, whether or not he is a leader on and off the field and just kind of taking subtle shots at the team's best player um, right before the start of the new season. I, I think things are going great. Their, their outfield is an absolute dumpster fire. Brantley's gone, who was the team's leader, and Lindor, uh, by all accounts, was close to Brantley and is expected to uh, take on a leadership role in that clubhouse, but uh, apparently not uh, something that Chris Antonetti anticipates because uh, there is concern there and they're playing hardball with his contract. And then you look up and down the roster and you're like, they brought back Carlos Santana. And then their their offseason started with Trevor Bauer and Corey Kluber apparently being on the block. And it's like, what what are you doing? Like, what is the, why? What are you doing? This is all just... You were in the World Series two years ago. You almost won. You took the Cubs to seven. Like, what are you doing? Why are you getting cheap now? Like, we hated what the Diamondbacks did, but this is, you can make the case, this is worse. Like, just do something. Sign Adam Jones. Like, I sign Bryce Harper. Like, I, just the fact that the Indians are just, their offseason has just been like, who are they going to keep? Like, how much do they keep? Is it... Why is it all about shedding payroll for a team that's won the AL Central several years in a row and figure to win it for the next several years? And the only way, the only way to really compete with the Yankees and the Astros and the Red Sox over the next year or two is to actually spend enough money and get somebody like Bryce Harper. Like, you have to. Like, there's just something you have to do here. Sign Dallas Keuchel. Don't trade Corey Kluber. Like, it's annoying as hell. Like, I, the Indians and the way they've operated – they uh, should not win the AL Central this year. So I'm heavily rooting against them. That's why I posited to you, I think we all need to be Twins fans because they're our best hope with the Indians not winning the AL Central this year. I would feel better about rooting for the Twins uh, if I felt like it actually, you know, also not just kind of like kick the can on the offseason. I think Nelson Cruz is a good addition. And I like uh, I like that they picked up CJ Krohn on the cheap because the Rays just got did, did a Rays thing. But the Twins are also just kind of not having a good offseason either because, you know, here, here's the thing to me. I understand why the Indians are doing what they're doing because they are the favorites to win the Central. And that division is absolute trash. And it does not take a lot to win the Central. So if you're, if you're the Indians, a franchise that has always been a cheap one, why spend more than you – why spend extra to, like, to do what? Win the division by 15 games instead of 10? Like, what? But you're not playing for the division. You're playing to compete with the big three. And that's the difference. That is be, like, and that's yeah. the idea. But I think that I think, and I don't know for I don't know because I'm not I don't run the Indians. But like, the sense I get there is that they feel like maybe they can't, or maybe they feel like. So then trade everybody. <laughs> it it's a bizarre. It is a bizarre trade. I don't. And this thing, I have a hard time explaining what the Indians are doing because I don't functionally understand it beyond, or I don't fully understand it beyond. They just don't want to spend money anymore. It it, it, it is just like we said before, like. I still think the Cubs have had a worse off season, but the Indians are right there with them. The Indians have had, they've just given up. They've just stopped trying. And it's, it's so frustrating to see, because like you said, that's a really good team. That's a team with world series potential. If, if they make the right moves. And I think too, you already see like, you know, that the Indians are counting on this idea. It's like, well, you know, we don't need to be that good. Like what we have, we can just coast to 90 wins and win the division with a cakewalk. Well, but now they might be down Francisco Lindor for a little bit of time. 
that's the kind of stuff that piles up. That's the kind of stuff that turns a 10 game division lead into a five game division lead into a two game division lead. It's like, it doesn't really take all that much to make the second place team that much closer, you know? And it's like the twins are a terrible team. I don't know. I can you just imagine if they trade it like Bauer, I can understand where you're like, uh, let's just, they could probably get something pretty good back for him. Um, and you could probably get two starters for the price of one there. I think Bauer would get it. Like if you called the Braves about Trevor Bauer, I think the Braves might give you one or two of their interesting young arms. I think you probably do that. I, I think because ultimately the Braves still need a top of the um, rotation guy right now. They don't, unless you're really a Sean Newcomb believer and Kevin Galsman going into the year and Mike Voltnevich. But um, yeah, I, I just think you know, maybe one of the two, but Corey Kluber was just like, if you're an Indians fan, I just don't know how you don't take that as like a slap in the face of like, what? Trading Corey Kluber? Like, what? Why is this the first thing we're hearing? Like, after this team just won the division, figures to win the division again easily, and you're trading your best starting pitcher. Why? What? It's just, it's it's baffling. I really, it's, it's one of those things where I look at that offseason and it's just, it is just so cynical. Yes. There's no, there's no, there is no. They just gave away Jan Gomes. They're going into this year with Travis Pilecki, the first round washout from the Mets as their catcher this year. It's just, it's one of those things where it's just, it's, to me, it's so cynical because there's no, if you have traded Corey Kluber, there would have been no explanation for it beyond money. None, yes. zero whatsoever. Like, there's no way to spin that. There is no way to spin. There's no real way to spend anything the Indians have done this offseason uh, other than we wanted to save some money. And that's just kind of the that, – that to me is just this offseason in a, in a nutshell for, for the league as a whole, where you have a team that if it had gotten aggressive during the winter and made – not just made like clever, creative moves, it made obvious moves. You know, Bryce Harper is an obvious move. But that doesn't mean you don't – that doesn't like – you don't lose any points for making it. So it's like – just not doing that and instead doing the smaller things to just make yourself cheaper. It's, and that's, that is, that is baseball right now. It's teams passing up the obvious moves. It's team pa- teams passing up the things that will obviously make you better in favor of the stuff that will make you cheaper. Because well, I think it's the- a combination of both where I think ultimately the Indians pipe dream is, and this is what I think a lot of these owners want out of their front office. Can you win a title with spending as frugally as humanly possible? It's like a game for these owners where it's like, can you let's like, it's like this weird experimentation where it's like, look at how much we can cut costs and still win a title. I think that's how a lot of these front offices think is like how cheap and um, frugal and just a young guy heavy. Can we be and still, sneak in a world series ring. I think that's, that's what a lot of these teams are trying to do. Yeah. And, and it sucks. Yeah. I feel bad. I feel like I've just been yelling. It sucks. I feel like Jay Sherman just yelling. It stinks <laughs> over and over again. There's a reference all the kids will get. Um, but that is just kind of this, how this off season has just played out in this really unpleasant fashion where it's like, instead of spending, instead of making the moves to make themselves better, you have all these teams that are just like, they're just kind of just shuffling or they're just shuffling things around. They're just cutting payroll because that's what matters now. And I think, I I think more than anything else, more than pace of play, more than like, you know, any other issue that Rob Manfred thinks is like the big issue in baseball. It's like, 
that's a real potential for a long-term problem where teams just don't try anymore and fans increasingly realize that and just start to feel like, well, then why am I watching this? Why am I giving this team my money? Why am I going to games? It's, it's something where you feel like, you know, free agency, spending in free agency, making your team better. It's not just about like, you know, creating a more competitive league. And that's kind of the, you know, the, the loser in all of this is the fans because we as fans get a worse product, a less competitive league, and for what? So, so the guys who run these teams can save a few million dollars? Who cares? You know, why, why is that something we should feel good about? We get, we get shafted with a worse overall product so those guys save money. And that's just kind of the crux of all of this. And that's like, if you're an Indians fan, you should feel insulted by this offseason as a whole. Like, insulted, angry. Like, I don't, if I were an Indians fan, I'd be sending them angry emails every damn day. But I guess that, that's just how it is nowadays. And I, I just worry that, like, I don't see how that changes, how we fix that, how, you know, how we kind of get back to a point where winning, winning and competing for a World Series is the stuff that actually matters. I don't have an answer, John. I wish I did, but I don't think either of us do. Um, it, it's very dreary and very unfortunate that we have to kind of talk about this kind of stuff right before the season kind of gets out of the way, but this is the reality. Like we have to talk about this stuff. Honestly, that's the thing. It's pitchers and catchers. We should be talking all excited about the season yeah. and who's going to be good and all that. And like, obviously there'll be time to do that in March, but like, it just sucks. Like we're still talking about the off season. We're still talking about guys who haven't been signed. We're still talking about teams that are, that are incomplete. It's like, no man, we should be, we should be beyond that at this point. Yeah. John Taylor, always a pleasure. Uh, what can we read from you on SI.com this week? Um, I've got, I did a little thing on Kyler Murray's baseball football decision. Uh, I just obviously wrote something on Bryce Harper and the Giants. Um, and big thing coming next week, SI is going to do our annual top 100, our second annual top 100 list of players. So I'm working on blurbs for that. Um, that'll be a fun one. I bet you can't guess who's number one total, you know, never is be able to get for this year. Uh, just for this year, although our rankings just take into account like you know performance last year and the year before that, and also kind of future value. So it's a whole big Alex Bregman, number one overall. Hard to believe. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to burst your bowl, but it's not Alex Bregman. I love. Not I Alex love Alex Bregman. Bregman, but it ain't Alex Bregman. Okay. Um, so that's coming up. I believe next week is when that's coming out. So be on the lookout for that. But you know, we'll just be. You know, hopefully Manny Machado and Bryce Harper will sign. So you know, when that happens, we'll have something to say on that. But. Other than that, probably just got some season preview stuff coming or some spring training stuff coming sooner rather than later. And then, um, yeah, for this week, that's what I got so far. And uh, we'll see. That's annoying. Again, annoyingly, the offseason is still not over. So there'll be more to be more to be written and more to be said, especially once Harper and Machado do get signed. And Jose Barrios, we trust, John. Uh, I do like him a lot. So Max Kleber, the German. Can we trust him? Uh, did you know his, his, I think his, I don't know if it's both his parents or his mom is a ballet dancer. Did not know that. Okay. Kind of cool. There we go. We're ending on a positive note. Max yeah. Kepler, mom's a, uh, a, a what'd you say she was? Ballet dancer. Okay. That's what I thought, but I was like, I was about to say what that actual title is, a ballet dancer. What is that? Is a ba- ballerina? Is that it? Ba- yeah, yeah, ballerina. That's what it is. 
Okay. Doesn't sound right. I didn't know if that was for adults too. I this is a really du- I'm showing my ignorance here in the ballet world, but I was like, is that okay, just I'm, for kids? I'm, I'm sure one of I'm sure one of your ballet savvy listeners <laughs> come at me for not being all that in tune with the uh the jargon um of uh the ballet world. But anyway, um John, it's always a pleasure talking baseball with you. Hopefully next time when we talk, things will be great. Um, also just found out Max's name is not just Max. What would you like to guess his full name is? Maximilian. It is Maximilian. Ooh, yeah. Knew that. Maximilian Kepler. What a name. Cool name. Yeah. All right. Anyway, John, thank you so much and talk to, talk to you soon, buddy. My pleasure. No, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll chat again soon. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, Be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase Double underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we will be back with another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.